All right, well, this morning's message is called Fading or Fruitful. Fading or Fruitful. We're going to look at this um, from Mark chapter 11. Some of the other Gospels share versions of this story, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 11 this morning. Um, and I want to just set the scene a little bit, and we're going to pick up on this. You know, the, the traditional focus of Palm Sunday involves people waving these palm branches. Um, Jesus comes riding into town on a, on a donkey of all things. Um, what a picture of, of him, the servant. You know, I, I would imagine Jesus would ride in on a big white horse or something. But he rode in on a, on a donkey, lowly and humble. Um, people were laying out their coats in front of him to make a path. They were waving palm branches. They were celebrating. They were also crying out a very specific word, Hosanna. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And so typically that's the imagery we have in mind of Palm Sunday. But some more stuff took place after he came riding into town. And so um, he rides into town. He goes in. He spends a little bit of time in the temple. And then he kind of, it's towards the evening. And so he goes back out of town to Bethany for the night. And the next morning he heads in one more time uh, into Jerusalem. And so we're going to pick up the story there. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. That's talking about Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And then we skip down a few verses. Verse 20 now. This is the next day. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now, I've done my fair share of cursing at inanimate objects or at least being angry at them. And they don't tend to respond to me when I do that. Um, I've never quite had this full experience. But Jesus walks up to this fig tree expecting to get something, expecting some fruit. He sees it in leaf. He's hoping for the best. And he's frustrated. He's discouraged that this thing is not producing fruit. And it says he cursed it. He spoke to it and said, may you never bear fruit again. And in 24 hours' time, that thing was shriveling up and withering from the roots. And the disciples took note. No kidding. I feel like they didn't have to say that, but they made it clear. The disciples went, hmm, that looks like the same tree from yesterday. They took note. Now, this is a strange passage. I mean, why, why is Jesus doing this? Hey, think about this. This is the start to this whole week that's about saving mankind. And it, the, it, the story starts out with this strange interaction with this tree. Like, is he just in a bad mood? Is he... Is he is he frustrated because he knows there's a hard week ahead? And he's like, man, I just wanted a decent fig before this really hard week. Is that too much to ask? I don't, I don't think he was being that flippant about it. I think Jesus does things intentionally and with purpose. Um, if you noticed as I was reading, too, it said that it wasn't the season for figs. And so that's kind of confusing. Is he holding this tree accountable for it not even being in season? That's kind of interesting. So there's a, there's a couple of possibilities here. So I'm going to do my best as someone uh, who is not good with plants and trees and such. Um, not only am I not good at helping them grow, I tend to accidentally kill things that I try to help grow. Um, but I've done a little bit of reading and a little bit of digging on this, and so I'm going I'm to try to share some stuff that might shed some light on this for us. Um, first of all, there's a possibility that it just looked ready. 
You know, he's walking up, he sees the, the leaves in action, it looks like it's growing and healthy, and so he's thinking, oh man, this is great, maybe this, this thing is actually ready to produce fruit, because it's healthy and growing leaves and looks good. And then he approaches it and discovers it's not. There's another possibility, though. Several commentators talk about how um, there was this early budding that would happen on these particular trees, and that in the period of time when they started coming into leaf, these buds would show up, and they were kind of a, of a harbinger of what was to come. They were saying, hey, this thing's going to really produce some fruit this year, and they were kind of sweet to eat. You could kind of pick them off, and they'd be a nice, sweet little bite. And so it may be that he was approaching this tree expecting to find some of those, the early budding, and when he came up and saw there was nothing on it, he realized this thing's not producing any fruit. So that's a possibility. Whatever his reason... There are some reasons why a fig tree may be healthy in growing leaves, but not produce fruit. So I'm going to give you three, three reasons here. And if you think this is just a random science thing, I think we're going to be surprised as we go along this morning how much this connects with our own lives, with our own lives, and reasons why we might not be people producing spiritual fruit. Uh, the first reason is the age of the tree. If the tree is still young and still maturing, um, it might not have any fruit on it yet. It's just still in those early days of growth. And so it might be several years before a tree produces fruit. So it's growing. It's maturing. It might be an age issue. Another reason why a, a tree may not pr be producing fruit yet is water stress. Water stress. It could be too little water, and so it's not getting enough resources, and it's, it's gone into survival mode. It could be too much water. You can overwater certain plants and trees. And so it could be too much water. But water stress could cause it to not produce fruit. And then finally, um, too much nitrogen. Too much nitrogen could make it look really healthy. It could get those, those leaves growing and really green and really bright. But it could cause the tree to be nutritionally kind of out of balance. And because it's out of balance, it might look healthy but it's actually hindering its growth. It's hindering its growth. So those are some potential issues that could be going on with this tree. So what we're going to do from it is we're going to step back and look at the whole story that's unfolding before us because I believe there's some very intentional parallels to what's happening with the people in Jerusalem and what's happening with this tree. What's happening with this tree. So I mentioned before the story starts, Jesus is riding into town. And we refer to this as the triumphal entry. But when he's riding into town, there's something that's happening. As the people are gathering, they're declaring something. They're declaring this word, Hosanna. Hosanna. Have you guys ever sung the word Hosanna in a worship song before? Yeah. I've done that for years, and I don't often even think about what the word means. You know, it's just kind of one of those Bible words. It's like hallelujah, right? It just seems like a, a word of praise, but Hosanna does not mean praise. It's not a word of praise. Hosanna actually means save us. In fact, it has an urgency to it. It's a desperation. It actually means save us now. We're desperate. God, right here, right now, would you save us? And so as Jesus rides into town, there was this buzz about him about who he was and what he was up to. There was an expectation that he was about to set them free, maybe from the Romans. They didn't know exactly what, but they believed that he was a culture-shifting type of influencer. And they were believing for something miraculous. 
And so they're using terminology like declaring him the son of David, meaning you're in the line of kings. And they're crying out, save us. So they're inviting Jesus to come save them. If we showed up on the scene, we would say that Jesus had a thriving, excited church. There was a bunch of people that were pumped about him being there. They're shouting out his praises. They're taking their clothes off and letting a donkey ride over the top of them just to like make a red carpet for him. They took the time to gather these palm branches and wave them. There is a celebration going on and there's an invitation going on. And so Jesus comes into town to that invitation and then he goes straight to God's house to kind of take in what's really going on spiritually with the people. And so in verse 11, coming right off of the triumphal entry, and Mark 11, 11, says, And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So he comes into town, he goes straight to the temple, and he just takes it in. When we invite Jesus in to save us, I believe that he takes that very seriously. Because he loves us and he wants to save us. And so he actually intends to save us whether or not we really understood what we were asking. And so he comes in and he says, y'all want me here? Great. Let me go to God's house and let me check out what's going on. He just takes it all in. What's happening here? If I'm going to save you, what needs to be done? And so he takes it all in. He ponders, he observes, and then he goes home for the evening. And so then it was on his way back into town, heading back to the temple, that he sees the tree that's got the leaves growing and no figs on it. And he comes up close and then he curses it and says, may you never produce fruit again. And then he continues on and goes to the temple. And this is what happens. Mark 11, verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. See, Jesus came in close to inspect what was happening with God's people and what he discovered was everything but what needed to be happening. They weren't alive and thriving and open to God and his presence and the need that people had to encounter him. It was just business as usual. It was religious going through the motion. And not only that, there's people in there making money off of people that needed their temple sacrifice. The reason there were animals there is there were different temple sacrifices. And these money changers are in there, you know, abusing people, taking more than is needed, like taking advantage of the fact that they had to go through this sacrificial system. And so people are being used and abused and mistreated and everybody's just going through the ritual. And Jesus said, this is a mess and it's got to stop. Other translations actually say he took the time to make a whip. This was thoughtful. This isn't what I do when I'm angry. This wasn't walking in and immediately being frustrated and flying off the handle in a rage. This was thoughtful and intentional. Jesus was saying something needs to be different. In fact, he's quoting from Isaiah 56 verse 7 when he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. 
That whole passage is about this idea of the nations having a place to come and have their needs met, to be fed, to find God there. God's house, his temple is a place where people in need should be able to come and meet him. And so similar to this fig tree that at first glance looked healthy and alive and growing, when Jesus came up close upon further inspection, there was no real fruit. It had an outward appearance of having it all together, but in reality, it was unfruitful. It was a false picture. Are y'all seeing the connection now here of what's going on in this story? And so we've got these two stories, Jerusalem and the tree. Now listen, we can debate whether or not Jesus was being unreasonable because this fig tree was cursed um, when it was out of season. But we know what he requires of us, right? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. We're to be ready when? In season and out of season. There is no in or out season for us. God's heart towards us is that we would be healthy and connected with him and that fruit would be produced in our life. So I want to take the next five or ten minutes and, and talk about two things this morning, two practical things to help us. Number one, why does Jesus care so much that we are fruitful? Why does he care that his people are fruitful? I'm very specifically talking about people who are followers of Jesus, his people. Remember, he went into the temple. These were folks who belonged to him. Why he wants us to be fruitful. And then secondly, how we can be fruitful. How we can be fruitful. If, if we are off, if we're unhealthy in some way, similar to the way this fig tree might have been, how can he produce fruit in our lives? So here we go. Why is it important that his people produce fruit? Number one, to meet the needs of the hungry traveler. Jesus is weary walking that road and he's hungry and he looks to that tree to receive fruit from it. Well, listen, we are surrounded by weary and hungry travelers. This is what the Proverbs are talking about in Proverbs 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's what? Is it on the screen? Y'all can read it out loud. It's what? It's a tree of life. It's a tree of life. People are looking for something real. They're looking for substance. I mean, whether it's specific people you know in your life or just in general surveying our culture and surveying the news, people are hopeless and in need. And they're looking for something real and substantial. And cold, dead, religious living ain't going to cut it. And for far too long, the church, at least in our culture, has just been business as usual. Going through the motions, doing the stuff. But this world is desperate for something real that's life-giving. They're hungry. And Jesus has extended that to us. Man, if we're his kids, he has extended something fruitful and full of life to us. And, and he wants us to receive it and enjoy it, but it implants something in us that's meant to produce fruit that goes out. And there are hungry, weary travelers all around us that are in need of something real. And oh, that God's people would give that away. That we would have fruit being produced in our lives in such a way that it would be of benefit to somebody around us that's in need. 
How many just simple practical needs are around us all the time and we could, we could meet that need and bless somebody? Remember, Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for who? All the nations. All the nations. Everyone. God's heart is to extend his grace, his love, everything that he has to offer to everyone. And we, we get to be carriers of that. We can carry that around. So fruit's important because it meets the need of the hungry traveler. Number two, it's important because it spreads the seed of the gospel. Our fruit spreads the seed of the gospel. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Here's something I discovered at a really young age, probably with an apple because that was one of my favorite fruits growing up. If you start biting too far into that apple, eventually you're going to get to a part that's kind of inedible, right? You're going to get into that core. What's in the core? Seeds. Do you realize part of God's grand design is that this beautiful, tasty, wonderful fruit that trees produce would draw somebody in to eat it. It would taste really, really good. And then we would discard the parts that we don't eat onto the ground so the seed would be spread and it could repopulate. Another tree can spring up. Birds carry this around. People carry this around. Animals that are eating fruit spread the seed. The gospel works the same way. If we're living fruitful lives, if we're giving people a taste of something they need, something tangible, something practical, within that fruit is a seed of the gospel. We can share the goodness of who Jesus is by meeting people's practical needs. God naturally produces fruit in our life when we're walking with him, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Man, when somebody gets a taste of God's love, when somebody gets a taste of his peace or my patience, like have you ever walked with somebody and they just needed some patience? They need somebody to hang in there with them and not give up on them? Or have you had somebody in your life you could point to who didn't give up on you? They were giving you a taste of God's love in the midst of that patience when they stuck it out with you when they said, I'm here for the long haul. That's just a glimpse of the, the long-suffering love of God that sticks with us forever. And so when we're fruitful, we bless the hungry traveler and we spread the seed of the gospel. And then finally, we're participating in something eternal. The fruit that we carry around with us points to an eternal fruit that's available forever. You know, it's interesting, the Bible could use a lot of imagery on, um, on what's going to happen in paradise, what's going to happen in heaven. In the book of Revelation, as, as this whole picture is unfolding of, of the, the times that we live in and of the end of days and you know, there's turmoil on the earth and there's all these things happening. At the end of the whole story, God begins to talk about what happens at the, at the end of time and all of his people gather in heaven and there's going to be this healing and this restoring and this move into just the goodness of all eternity. And one of the main pictures that God chooses to use is a picture of a tree. And in Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, John's writing about the scene he's experiencing. And he says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life 
with, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielded its fruit how often? Each month. The fruit never runs out. The leaves of the tree were for the, the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. That tree ain't being cursed. It's going to continue and bud and produce fruit forever. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. We were made to eat from the tree of life for all eternity. There is a fruit that never runs dry. It meets all of our needs. It's fully satisfying. It heals every single hurt or wound we'll ever face in this life. And so when, when we are fruitful people and we're meeting hungry travelers and we're giving them a taste of something good and there's, there's the seed of the gospel in it, we're giving them the taste of something that's eternal, that they were made for, that's available to them forever. These small little acts have eternal impact. That's why being fruitful is so important. We're sharing the hope and life of God as we go. Now, I believe there are all sorts of benefits for us personally in the fruit God wants to give us. Absolutely. I believe we're the hungry and weary traveler at times. And, and the fruit God's producing in our life is for me. I get worn out. There are times that I need to be reminded of the hope of the gospel. There's times I need to be reminded of the eternal hope that I have in Jesus. Absolutely. But Jesus is inviting us to participate in the work he wants to do in this world. And as his kids, we can be carriers of the good news of the gospel. We can see God's fruit growing and producing in our lives and being a gift to those around us. That's why Jesus wants us to be fruitful, so we can produce that kind of fruit. So that's the why. So how do we do this? You know, if you're in here this morning, um, you know, maybe you're feeling like, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty connected. I'm good. I'm good. That's great. There's stuff we can do to foster and continue to grow. You might be in here this morning and say, man, I'm, I'm worn down or I'm weary. or it's, I've been in a hard season. It's been hard to produce fruit. I, I believe God has some answers for us on how we can experience his fruit in our lives and be fruitful and give it away to others. And so we're going to look at two passages this morning. We're going to look at Jeremiah 17 and then Psalm 1. First of all, Jeremiah 17. How can we produce this kind of fruit? In Jeremiah 17, verse 5, the prophet writes and he says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So me, by myself, trying on my own to be fruitful, that ain't going to cut it. In fact, I'm going to end up just like that fig tree. I'm going to be cursed if I'm trying to just muster this up. It's one of the most dangerous things about a message like this. When we're being challenged or exhorted to be fruitful, to participate in his kingdom, our natural reaction as people is to figure out how I got to do better. I got to fight harder, try better, do more. And he says, listen, you're, you're cursed. That kind of life is empty if you're trying to do this apart from him and you're leaning on your own strength. And he says, especially those whose hearts turn away from the Lord. If you're just completely like, God, I've got this, you're in trouble. In fact, here's what your life's going to look like. You're going to be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. You shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. There's not even a chance for anything to grow because the ground's been salted. It's like ruined its ability to produce anything. That's life apart from him. But there's good news in verse 7. 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. Did y'all catch that? Who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of the drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but every potential thing that could damage that fig tree to keep it from producing fruit is addressed in this passage. Every single one. Um, We talked about age being an issue. The tree maybe isn't mature enough to produce fruit. Well, what's the picture here in Jeremiah? So planting yourself with Jesus, being so connected to him, where, where he is the source of that river of living water, that we're so connected that we begin to put down roots. And the picture in this passage is not just that there's roots in the ground, it's that they're spreading. They're reaching every part of that river. They're getting their, their tentrils down into the water. They're getting access to every good thing they need. There's, there's a chance that you might just be going, man, I'm kind of a, a baby Christian. I'm new at this. I'm just learning to grow. Great. Don't despise that. That's fine. Start where you are. But, but put down roots into who Jesus is, who he is into his word. Camp out there. Make his presence your home. And and put those roots down deep and it will produce something in your life. It'll give you a firm foundation. But it goes on. He talks about not needing to worry about the drought. See, we mentioned water stress might be a reason that we're not producing fruit. We don't have enough water and so we go into survival mode. He says, listen, you can be planted by a river of water. The water never stops. It's always there and present. Even if there's a desert around you, you are planted in the one who produces living water that never runs dry. And so even in a desert, and even in a desert season, we can find fresh water and be all right. And so I would just encourage you this morning, if you feel like you're in a desert season, God hasn't moved and you haven't moved. Maybe things have just kind of dried up around you, but you can put those roots down deep and draw from his well that never runs dry. He is with you. In fact, it's been in the desert season in my own life spiritually that I've watched God come through in miraculous ways. Those desert seasons can at times even enrich our relationship with him because I can learn even in the hardest season, he's there and he's present and he'll produce something. But there's another issue that this resolves. You know, we mentioned water stress could be like too much water or not enough. Well, the idea of too much water is if you're just sitting in this stagnant pool of water. But because this tree is planted by a river, there is continual fresh water coming by. It's not sitting in this old stagnant place. And see, all too often, if we're not careful in our walk with Jesus, I can just be sitting on something that he did in my life five years ago. You know, I don't know if you've ever met somebody like that or even found yourself doing this where you know, when you're talking about something Jesus has done in your life, the story you draw from happened to you years ago. That's great. I'm glad God did that years ago. What's he doing right now? He's here. He's present. I even feel like there's a danger at times in being in the process of being continual hearers of God's word And it not going anywhere, not producing anything in our lives. And it can become just kind of this stagnant pool of like, well, I've got all the information, but I might be better off just taking one piece of that 
and seeing it applied in my life and doing something with it. We're not meant to just sit stagnant. There, there is fresh living water. There are new things that God is doing that he's up to even right now. And so what if I approached each day as if God had something fresh and new and special today? Because he's a living water, no stagnation. And then finally, this tree that's pictured here, it's nutritionally in balance. It has both green leaves and continual fruit being produced. It's not out of balance. Um, that, that could be a whole sermon on its own. But man, we can be so prone to just latch on to one idea or one concept. Or I make my life about this thing. I'm going to do this thing in the kingdom. Or I'm honed in on this, this particular aspect of who God is. But there is a rich bounty. We're called to experience the God of the whole word. And it's rich and it's full of life. And I need a healthy mix of who Jesus is. And I can gather that by, by being in his word, by being around his people. You know, if I'm just living off of what God's saying to me, I'm missing out on what he's saying to Andrew, what he's saying to Tommy. Like, I benefit from sharing life with other people, and it brings balance. I get perspective from others. And so I shouldn't just kind of sit on my own and sit on my little hill. You know, this is the thing that really matters the most. I mean, sure, the gospel is about everybody and everyone, and, but, like, this is really the main thing. If you don't think that happens, pay attention. People get in these little cliques, these little groups, these little subcultures of Christianity, become about this one thing and miss the fullness and richness of who God is. I'm meant to be immersed in his word and I'm meant to get the perspective of other people and what we can learn from each other. And so let's be nutritionally balanced. Is this making sense? Okay. All right. In closing, I want to read one final passage. You guys are doing great. Kids, are you good? Kids in the room, are y'all good? Are you napping or something? All right. <laughs> Big kids, are y'all good? Okay. <laughs> All right, one final passage. This just gives us something practical here to walk out. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, David writes and he says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But instead, here's what this man chooses to do, this woman chooses to do. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, or we could say God's word. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Man, just people immersed in his word. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does prospers. On a really practical level, David is writing about how we manage the choices and decisions we make. I can choose the voices I'm listening to, what influences me, who I spend my time around. And he's saying, learn to pay attention to who you live with and what you learn from. Pay attention to who you live with and what you learn from. Spend time around God's people. Spend time immersed in his word. Let that anchor you. And it can be nutrition for your soul. If we will embrace this, we can be fruitful people who are carrying around something that this world desperately needs. We can carry around something to eat for the weary traveler. We can sow seeds of the gospel even in some of the smallest things we may do. And we can give people hope in the midst of a broken temporary world 
that there is an eternal God who loves them, who offers eternal hope in Jesus Christ. Jesus did come to save. He did come to save. And he's extended that to us, and he now invites us to participate and pass that on to others. That's the beauty of Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you came once very specifically and intentionally. I thank you that you rode into town and you had a mission in mind. God, your mission was to rescue and save the whole world. And Jesus, I thank you along the way that that you made a point to talk to your people and invite them into a real, living, fruitful relationship with you. Not a cold, dead, stagnant, religious life that just uses people up. And Jesus, I pray this morning in my own life, and God, I pray this for my friends in this room, that we would say to you, Jesus, come save me. Lord, that we would actually invite you in. That we would say, God, come into the temple of my life and rearrange some furniture if you have to. God, move some things around. If there's some things you need to drive out. And Lord, would you come and be the anchor of our soul? God, may we be rooted and grounded in you and in your word that would come alive in our lives and produce much fruit. God, I don't know where each person is in this room. God, some of us um, may just be kind of, kind of new in our walk with you. And you're inviting us into, into maturity. You're inviting us to plant our roots in you and to grow. God, some of us may be in a desert season. God, would you show us how you can produce a fresh living well in the midst of a a dry and barren land in our lives. God, if we've just been stagnant, kind of sitting on the sidelines, God, would you invite us into the living flow of what you're up to and what you're doing? And God, if we've just kind of been in our own little corner doing our thing, I pray we'd come be a part of the larger body of Christ, that we would learn from the fullness of your word, and we would learn and mature as we grow together. God, would you come do these things in our heart and life? May we be people that carry around the fruit of the gospel with us wherever we go. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.